Welcome to the Spurs News Podcast, your home for all things Spurs. And now, let's join our hosts. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Spurs News Podcast. This week I'm joined by a very special guest, a true legend amongst Spurs supporting podcast listeners. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Chris Windy Miller to the show. Welcome. Hello, Matt. Thank you. What a lovely, what a lovely welcome. <laughs> no problem. Well, you are, to me and I'm sure to everyone listening, you are a legend. So. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. No, I mean, I'm just, I'm just a fan, basically. But um, I've got a bit of a Twitter following, so so people know who I am, I think. Yeah, and you've got the blue tick, which is, you know... <laughs> I, was, I was really surprised when I got that, you know. Um, it was back in the day where they handed them out, like, blue Peter badges. So I, I think, um, again, it was a, like, a, apply for one and you'll get it. Uh, and I did, and I got it. So that's the only reason why. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I did actually, when I looked, because I, I thought, how do you get this blue ticket? I can see it's obviously a lot harder now than it used to be at the time ago to get it. Absolutely, yeah. Basically, I mean, at the time, uh, if you did any kind of work as a journalist, uh, you, you could get validated in that way. And I was doing some work, you know, do you know um, Ben Pierce, the, the Spurs beat journalist? I, I was doing some guest columns for Ben for... Uh, a couple of his papers so that was enough to do the job I think okay that's fair enough so obviously you mentioned that and I thought I'd give you the opportunity before we get stuck into you know the news and stories of this week just to tell us a bit more about yourself so how you became a Spurs fan any good memories you have supporting Spurs and obviously anything you're involved in that you want to plug on the show yeah absolutely so um, I'm 36 so I've been supporting Spurs all of my life, um, but the, the bits I remember really, uh, the early early to mid nineties and then beyond. Um, I actually had a Spurs bib as a baby, so I had little choice in the matter. My my dad <laughs> has always been Spurs. Um, my dad and my uncle grew up in the sixties, and uh, their dad was a Spurs was a football fan rather, but not 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 a kind of um, partisan football fan. He he didn't really have a, a club of choice. So he kind of let my dad and my uncle pick which sides they wanted to to support. And at the time, the two big clubs were Burnley and Spurs. Wow, my uncle Burnley. chose Burnley. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and my dad chose chose Spurs. Um, and living in Croydon, uh, Burnley was a difficult one to get to. But credit <laughs> to my uncle, he's kept going, and he, he does he does go up to he does go up to Lancashire um, to this day. So um, yeah, he, he's done well to stick with it. But I'm I'm glad in some ways I'm glad that my dad chose Spurs. Sure, sure. Have you got any uh, good memories growing up? Like, I mean, obviously you're saying that you grew up in the 90s, which was hardly our golden era, was it? <laughs> no, no, exactly. I mean, yeah, it was it was tough work being a Spurs fan as a kid. I remember at primary school, uh, my dad was very, very proud of the fact that I stuck with Spurs. And a lot of my my friends who, who originally started um, supporting Spurs switched to Man United because they were winning everything. Yeah. Um, and that, that was a, a source of enormous pride for, for my old old man. Um, I absolutely adored Teddy Sheringham growing up. He was he was my favourite player. Uh, had his name on the back of the shirt. I absolutely loved watching him. Uh, he was just a silky, classy, elegant player. Had a lovely first touch. Scored loads of goals for Spurs, and kind of um, became synonymous with a lot of our the good facets of our play at the time. Um, so yeah, Sheringham was a, a big early favourite, and then in, into the sort of noughties, 
Um, my favourite player was Ledley King. Absolutely adored watching Ledley. Um, from starting as a sort of midfielder, dropping back into centre-back, watching him make his debut for England and then obviously going through what he did with his chronic knee injuries but still maintaining um, the, the ability that he had despite barely training. I mean, he was just a incredible, incredible sports person um, and he was just a, a gentleman on the pitch as well. So I was a huge Ledley King fan. You can see as well, because they have him as an ambassador now, don't they? And it, you can see just... Obviously, there's the argument that if he hadn't have had the injury, he wouldn't have been at the club, you know, for his whole career. But the fact of the matter, he was. And you know, like you say, when you when you see the person as opposed to the player, you can see what a great person he is as opposed, you know, inclu- as including you know a great player mm. that he was as well. Mm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. There was no ego with Ledley. He was mm. just a humble, humble lad, uh, lo- local to the area who obviously had tremendous ability and, and like you say had it not been for for those knee problems he might have gone on to a bigger club he might have ended up at somewhere like Barcelona you never know he, he was that good on the ball um, but we were lucky that we we had him throughout his whole career and, and being having a, a player that's a one club man is a rare thing um, so very very proud to have Ledley as one of our um, greatest captains. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've I've got some great. I mean, I always I always remember that uh, that was it the the tackle against Robin that like yes. where did he come from? <laughs> that, yes. that summed up Ledley King for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're you're quite right to pick that one out. He also scored at the time the fastest Premier League goal, which wasn't the greatest greatest goal in the world, but um, <laughs> it was it was something to be proud of nonetheless. Has he still uh, so got he, there? Has he still got there? I'm not sure if no. it's been taken. Yeah, it's been taken. I forget oh. who it was, but it was quite recently. As it, uh, it was taken, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a shame. But in in our eyes, you know, we we still see him as a legend, don't we? Yes. Oh, yes, without doubt. Yeah, fantastic. So I was gonna. I mean, I've, I've, over the last few months doing the podcast, obviously with there being no football, there's, you know, we've been talking weekly about what's been happening, and you know, mm. talking about the different ideas that have been put forward, and will the season restart or won't the re- season restart? I just wondered what you, what your thoughts have been from when it stopped in March to now. You know, how have you sort of how have you looked at this looked at it and you know have you wanted to stop restart or is it something you would have liked to see avoided or you know how, how have your thoughts been over uh well it's, it's been really difficult to process the whole thing i mean to start off with i was just kind of getting getting through every day i think just w- worried about friends and family constantly and football was very far from my mind and i was just thinking you know this is this is an absolutely horrendous situation, and it's, it's obviously not great that the football stopped. But at the same time, it's the it's the least of our worries right now. Mm. Um, as things have progressed, and I say pro- progressed with uh, air quotes going on <laughs> because I'm not sure how things have really progressed. I mean, we've been locked down, but I'm not sure what's actually changed out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I've been I've been um, skeptical about Project Restart. So I do a podcast called The Extra Inch, and we. We, we have a, a core group of three of us, myself, Nathan and Bardi. Um, but I sometimes do one-off interviews with special guests. And uh, a guy got in touch with me, Alex Benham, who is a public health PhD candidate, historian, really. Um, and we had a long chat, Alex and I, about Project Restart and some of the sort of his- the sort of pandemics in history that have been similar to, to what we've been going through. And the, the the failures that we've repeated or that the um, our government's repeated and and then kind of linking into what the Premier League is attempting to do. And Alex made a very coherent and well-made point about this 
being a, a very rash decision to, to start football again when we really haven't got the virus contained to the level we we should have and and certainly not to the degree that Germany have I mean Germany they they locked down earlier than us and they've managed to contain the virus pretty well um and so for them to restart the Bundesliga seems like a fairly pragmatic sensible thing to do for us I'm not sure that's the case so I remain skeptical and I remain concerned for the health and well-being of our players I mean we've already had one player or official uh, no, it was confirmed as a player, wasn't it, who's, yeah, who's been um, right. tested positive for coronavirus. Mm. I really hope that, that no more are affected. Um, I mean, it's said that, that younger people will typically uh, get over the virus and they won't have lasting effects, uh, but that is not consistent. We don't know uh, that everyone who's, say, under 40 will get it and, and just recover fully from it. I've got colleagues at work who have had the virus and, um, you know, are six, seven, eight weeks on now and are still struggling with their health. Wow. Um, and, and who knows if they'll ever go back to being what they were like before having had the virus because it's it's a really nasty um respiratory virus that attacks the lungs and can do lasting damage so I, I really hope we're not putting our players in the Premier League um, in harm's way and I really hope that things work out for the best and if I, if I come to my final point this is a bit of a rambly answer isn't it but <laughs> I mean I am ultimately really really happy to have football back I've missed it terribly but I would be happier if the virus was a little bit more contained before we hit the uh, hit the play button again it's, it's a strange one because you, you know, we, 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 we've seen the figures and we're seeing that over the last you know week or so, we're having a, the higher amount of deaths than, than the than this 27 countries in the European Union put together. And, it, and it's, right. it's, it, it's, it feels almost like we're kind of carrying on regardless. That's how it feels to me. And, and I know obviously there's information from, from different sources, but I, I just have this feeling that you know they, they, they want to get the football restarted and it's going to get it's going to be restarted regardless. Uh, you know, and 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 I always feel like things like this, especially when it comes to. I mean, you, you look at the. Um, I mean, it's been announced, hasn't it, the, the last day or so that the with the the lower leagues, you know, the the relegations and the promotions. So mm. the money's not there that it is in the Premier League, and you feel like it, it's it's the money that's that stopped them from 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 you know finishing the league. And to an to an extent, it almost feels to me like it's money over health. Yeah, you, you know. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine the immense pressure that the Premier League are getting from uh, for the people who are affected financially by this. Um, some chairmen will be worried about the future of their clubs. Uh, the TV companies will be <laughs> breathing down their necks. So I, I completely get it. There, there are a lot of different stakeholders who, who will want football to come back as soon as possible. But, you know, if a football club goes bust, but it means that, 10 or 11 players don't get incredibly sick then mm. you know I'm, I'm on the side of the players frankly sure they've got uh, I know I saw uh, Kente from Chelsea he's coming back but I'm not sure about Troy Deeney but I know there's been a few players isn't there that uh, that kind of protesting slightly you know and sort of still uncomfortable about it but I, I did see an article I think it was yesterday the day before Ben Davis was saying that mm. in the general feeling amongst our players is that you know let's get back and you know they, they feel comfortable uh, coming back and training and you know get uh, restarting the season yeah and I'm sure they you know they'll have missed one another as much as we've missed watching them it's um having some some normality back is 
it's what everyone wants. We we all want to go back to normal as soon as possible. You know, I I live apart from my my girlfriend, and she falls into one of the vulnerable categories, and she's shielding. I don't know when I'm going to be able to see her again, frankly. I mean, mm. she's she's been told her, her doctor originally told her it'll be the end of the year before she can really go back to a normal way of life. Um, and it's tough. It's really tough. It's tough. It's tougher for her than it is for me because I can at least go out and see other people and do other things. But she's she's stuck in the house. Um, and, and, you know, players have had it tough as well. They they are these they're so competitive footballers. They are they're almost like trained animals. They just want to do the thing they are trained to do every you know week, but every day in training and to, to strip that away from someone, to strip someone's purpose away from them when they have short careers as it is it's really difficult so they will be i'm sure the majority will be absolutely thrilled to be back but the likes of dini and kante um expressing their views is i think a good thing we we know for a fact that people from bme um communities are uh, disproportionately affected by the virus in all kinds of ways um and and so they need to they need to be able to have a, a platform to voice their opinions, and they definitely shouldn't be forced to come back too early if they don't feel comfortable with it. And I'm sure their clubs will support them regardless of their of what their decision is. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, because health health has to come first, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. So absolutely, that leads me nicely into actually uh, the story I was going to mention that came out today mm. about uh, Delhi. So he's been suspended for uh, one first team competitive fixture with immediate effect, uh, fined fifty thousand pounds, which isn't probably going to hurt him that much, and must complete a face to face education course following a breach of FA rule uh, E three in relation to a social media post in February uh, of this year. So he's going to miss the, the first fixture against Man- Manchester United next week. I just wonder what your thoughts are on on that on him missing the game as well as what your thoughts are on on the crime and punishment it's an interesting one isn't it because if you if you dig deeper and you read um the the full outcome from the trial um his argument was that he didn't know the person he was filming was of east asian origin he just heard someone coughing and had an in joke with his mates who had said that he'd been like over cautious about uh, using hand gel and such like so it was an in-joke amongst friends that, in in his eyes, that spiralled out of control and someone shared it, someone from his, uh, someone who followed him on Snapchat shared it with a newspaper and it went, it went obviously a bit crazy. Now that is, that is a generous reading if you, if you take it at face value. I think at best it was very foolish of him to, to post a video of an East Asian man, uh, whether he thought he was coughing or not. Um, at worst, he's lying about the, the reason behind it, and and there is a kind of uh, unfortunate racial element to the, to that. And you know, crime, race, racism against East Asian is one of those crimes that fe- feels like it's uh, somehow still seen as acceptable, and it's absolutely not. You know, racism of all kinds is unacceptable. I I I want to believe that Delhi's telling the truth, and that this was just an unfortunate um, error of judgment. He certainly seems very sorry about the whole thing, and he's a smart lad, is Delhi. Um, he's very switched on. He's very articulate. He's very um, strong when he's interviewed. And I hope if it if it was uh, a genuine mistake, I hope he's learned from it and won't do it again. I think the one game ban is is generous, and we've done quite well out of that, to be honest. Sure. Um, it, help, it helps it, that we've got players back, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, a, a, a few months ago, missing Delhi would have been an absolute nightmare. Now it's kind of like, well, we can play 
Bergvine or you can play Lucas or you can mm. play Lamella so it doesn't feel like the end of the world yeah sure I, I, I it's, it's difficult because I, I don't I, I don't like want, want to condone his behaviour I, I feel like if I support him then it feels like I'm condoning his behaviour mm. and I, mm. I appreciate that what he did was wrong but what I do like and like like you said it's one thing to make a mistake and and, and it's another thing to realize you've made a mistake and apologize you know you, yeah. you see so many times on social media and things like that where someone will say so especially in politics as well where they'll say something and instead of just putting your hands up and saying look i've realized i made a mistake they double down on it and and that 100%. that's a, that's i feel like you're making it worse whereas i think with delhi look you know he's realized he, he, it was between friends you know even i'm not trying to even justify it by that way because he's he, as far as he was concerned it was only going to be amongst his friends not that that makes what he did any better but he, he now it has it, it was put out there he realized it was a mistake and you know, like you said straight away hands up and apologized mm. yeah you're right and he is um he's a young he's a young man uh who does tend to learn quickly you know he's 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 changed his style on the football pitch we've seen that we've seen him go from quite a petulant player to actually one of our you know mature players that we can rely on to keep a cool head on the pitch the majority of the time um so i do think he's got the capability of of learning and and changing his behaviors i think he i think he's very smart and you know let's hope it was just an innocent mistake and a foolish mistake um that got taken out of context sure we we forget as well don't we that we signed him when he was still a teenager so you know he's 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 still a youngster now isn't he even though he's been with us for a few years exactly yeah you're right yeah, I, I did. Uh, one thing I saw in the in in the news this week as well was a uh, it was the anniversary, the one year anniversary of um, Justin Edinburgh, Edinburgh's death, uh, which was a, mm. a bit of a shock. So I thought I'd, I'd take this opportunity to remind everyone listening about his career with us and also you know the successes he had as a manager. So uh, Justin Edinburgh uh, joined us as a 20 year old from Southend United for 150,000 pounds on loan in January 1990, a move that was made permanent in the summer of that year. And he made his debut in November of that year also as a sub in a 4-2 win uh, against Wimbledon. He won two trophies with us, the FA Cup in 91 and the League Cup in 99, where he was famously sent off for a a clash, shall we call it, with Robbie Savage. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think he should have been a red card. Uh, And he made 213 uh, league appearances for us, scoring one goal. Um, In March of uh, 2000, so 10 years later, he left us for Portsmouth uh, for 175,000. We actually made a profit on him (laughs) before moving to Billericay Town as a player manager. His notable achievements um, as a manager was he he got Newport County back into the League 2 after 25 years out of the league. And also he uh, did the same with Leighton Orient just before he passed away last year. Uh, I did see as well that his son, since his... um, since he died, his son set up a foundation that uh, you can find on Twitter, Justin Indipa Free Foundation, and it's basically uh, set up by his son and his his, his family. He, he I didn't realise he died in a, in a in a gym while he was working out, so they're campaigning to change the law to ensure that all health and fitness clubs all around the country have a defibrillator. Everyone has one, which to, even now I'm surprised they don't. You know, there's, there's so many public places that don't, but that's what they're they're sort of campaigning for. So I just was wondering, obviously with it being his anniversary, Steph, how, you know, how did how did you feel when you found out, and do you have any memories of him, you know, when he was playing for us? Oh, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's it's great that you've done that and and kind of raised awareness of the foundation as well. I think um, it was a real shock, wasn't it? Um, 
when anyone when anyone dies young you just the first thing you you think is of their family and um and the people that are left behind and and how what they must be going through and he was someone who although he wasn't hugely well known generally he was well known in the football community as being a really good up-and-coming manager who was a clearly a very well-liked guy as well and uh, I think everyone was just united in grief and, and feeling so sad about the whole thing. I, I don't actually remember him a great deal as a player. I, I, I saw him quite a few times, but I, I couldn't tell you really much about his play style, which I think probably tells you that he was absolutely not a, a flashy footballer. He was more of a steady Eddie. Um, he got a bit of stick at his time at Spurs. He wasn't always seen as a, as a, as a great player. I think he was more of a kind of... Um, unsung hero if anything as a footballer uh he certainly had a bit of a spiky attitude at times uh although the robbie savage incident was <laughs> like you said no absolutely was not a red card offense no. uh and and i would like to think that var would have overturned that one <laughs> um, but yeah uh ter- like terribly terribly sad for for justin Edward to pass away so young and all, all the things that his family are doing are fantastic and uh, it's great that you've sort of raised awareness for that. Yeah, of course. And, and like you said, you know, it's a bit like when we were talking about Ledley King, you know, he, he was he was a great man as well, you know, and and, and I was looking when I was sort of researching uh, before the show, you know, the, you know the, his history and, and, and where he managed, etc. I was finding quotes everywhere, you know, and, and, and I know you tend to find when, when people do pass away young, you do get a lot of quotes from people saying how good someone is opposed to telling them when they're still alive. But mm. you, you, you get a great feeling of, 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 of how much of a nice guy he was. Oh, yeah. It just makes it even more sad when it's yeah. someone who's clearly such a well-liked person. Yeah, yeah, completely, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like you say, he was... I mean, I spoke to my my uh, uh, my brother last week on the. I had my brother on the podcast last week, and he he's a similar age to you. And uh, you know, we, we grew up. Uh, he grew up in the sort of watching Spurs in the nineties. That's sort of his memories. And yeah, I mean, it, we we had a couple of successes, which which we, I think I take now. You know, <laughs> like even though you think of the nineties has been a terrible time, I think I take two cups at the at the moment. Yeah. But but d- defensively wise, I mean, that a, a lot of players got stick and. You know, I, I I think probably he's going to be more remembered. I think for, you know, he, although he was with us for a long time, you know, the successes he had as a manager and and, and the person he was probably more more than I, I think probably the the, the player he was for us. You know, or the performance he put on. But yeah, he he, um, he he by the sounds of things, he was he was a great guy. You know, and uh, he it was a Champions League. He just come back from the Champions League final, and he, he he was out there watching it with us, wasn't he? Oh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, he was out there watching it with us. I mean, that, that's something I try to forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point, good point. But yeah, so obviously he still had a soft spot for Spurs then. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think what you said is, is spot on, that he, he won't necessarily have been remembered as a as, as a Spurs kind of um, great, but uh, perhaps he'll become uh, to be known as a cult hero in, in the future um, for, for what he did beyond Spurs like you said and uh and certainly for that Robbie Savage incident yeah. Yeah. um but yeah yeah no terribly terribly sad I mean he was he was looking like a really promising uh, manager had a mm. great uh, win percentage with with Orient um and and yeah it's just so sad that he was taken too soon yeah no absolutely absolutely well, I thought I'd uh, move on to the uh, the questions we've been asked. We've asked uh, fans on the Facebook page and on the Instagram for any questions. Obviously, we've mentioned that you're going to be on the show as well. So let's uh, uh, move on to that. 
Sure thing. Now it's time for your comments. Right, so the first question I've got is from Daniel Beecroft. And he said he's interested to know what youth players you think will make the grade at Spurs. He said a couple of lads have been training with the first team this week. And do you think they have a shot? Okay, so yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I used to go and watch the youth team a fair bit. Um, So I used to go to uh, Chigwell, where where we had Spurs Lodge. And then when we built the new training centre, I used to go regularly and watch the under-18s play there as well. So I, I had probably five or six years where I would go to probably somewhere between 8 and 15 matches a season of the under-18s. Uh, that's not the case nowadays. I've not been for a two, probably 18 months. Um, but I have still got my ear to the ground. I still I still watch every game that is where a stream is available. Uh, I still read a lot about the youth team. I still have friends that go and watch them. So I do tend to hear a bit about how the young players are getting on. And we've got some prospects. Uh, the two that have been training... Well, there's three, really, that have been training with the first team this week. The two most promising youngsters are Dennis Serkin, who is a left-back, and Harvey White, who is a sort of... He's a midfielder, really. I suppose I prefer him as a deep line midfielder, but he can play box to box as well. And I think both of them have got a really good chance. They 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 both are on the right course towards first team football. Um, Serkin, I would say, is a probably more physically ready player. He's he's quite a stocky, strong lad. Uh, he's he's a solid left back. He gets up and down well, but I would say he's a little more defensive than we've been accustomed to. So he's a bit more Ben Davis than Danny Rose, for example. Sure. Uh, very good left foot, trusty left foot, very good technically, confident on the ball um, and just generally looks a, a good all-round footballer. I've, I've got high hopes for Serkin. I think um, the sooner we can get him out on loan, the better. And Harvey White is, I would say, the best free kick taker at the club, although that's probably not that difficult. There's not a lot of competition. Um, and the best comparison, someone, I can't, I forget who it was now, but someone compared him to James Ward-Prowse, and I think that is absolutely bang on. He's very similar in style to Ward-Prowse in that he's very good technically, really strong left foot, uh, and he's quite tenacious, and he'll, he'll get in people's faces, and uh, he, he's a smart player. I like him in the kind of deep-lying role where he can see the pitch in front of him and play make a bit but uh he started off actually as a number 10 and then moved progressively backwards so that's probably where the James Ward Prowse comparisons come from as well but yeah really two really good players there and uh, those two as well as Troy Parrott obviously who's had his appendix out and is absent at the moment but is a very 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 talented boy yeah you can see can't you there obviously this talk of some people have the opinion that Mourinho just likes playing established players, and he's, you know, even when you look at Manchester United, he brought players from the from the you know the the, the, reserve, the youth up kind of thing. Do you mm. think having Mourinho as the manager will, will help them progress, or will it will it be a hindrance? Do you think? Uh, this is probably slightly controversial, but I thought Pochettino really failed our youth players in the last few years of his tenure, and not just in terms of how few opportunities he gave them for our first team, but in how he uh, restricted their opportunities to go out on loan and impress, and it mm. led to quite a few young players leaving. So uh, Marcus Edwards is the most high profile who's going to get a big move this summer, having been um, let go by Spurs last year. Uh, year before last last year, yeah. um, and uh, Keenan Bennett was another one who 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 went too too early. Rio Griffiths, and subsequently we've lost. Um, oh gosh, names escape me now. Centre back has gone to playing in um, Canada. 
Um, I think the problem is that the players stop seeing a route through for them. So they saw the likes of Walker Peters uh, stagnate and, and not get opportunities. Oliver Skip's kind of gone into that that black hole a little bit as well and they need to see a pathway they need to see here's what you do to then get your chance to the first team whether it's you go out alone to a league two club you impress and you come back you go to a league one club you impress you come back you go to a championship club there wasn't any of that Maurizio Pochettino kind of stopped the loans he wanted them training in-house and that's quite difficult for players who want first team football they want exposure as well because if they're not going to make it in our first team they want to get an opportunity to, to go elsewhere and play football. Um, so the thing that Mourinho changed almost immediately was he, he started sending players out on loan more willingly. And I think that will have uh, a really positive impact. Now, whether he gives more minutes for the first team to young players, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I can't be sure that he'll do that. The way that uh, he spoke of Parrot towards the end of the, the bit of the season before we, we paused... Uh, it made me think that he's slightly reticent about play, playing young players still, but at least they're going to get opportunities to go out on loan and uh, and build strength and build their knowledge of how men's football actually works. And I think that's a good thing. Well, do you know one of the players you mentioned that, that for me always was a huge surprise with the way he was treated under Pochettino is Cole Walker-Peters. Mm. It was such a strange one. Like he'd, he'd literally play the first game and the last game of every season. Yeah. It was so strange. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, people have a go at me on Twitter because I was uh, I was a bit of a, a flag waver for Walker-Peters. When he came through the under-18s, I saw him play for the under-18s a lot when he was 16, 17, and he was absolutely exceptional. And he was playing for England regularly at all the age groups. And he was really good for England. He often got pushed out to left back rather than right back for England. But he would still play well and, and, and look like one of the best players in the group. So you know he's a good player. And people would say, you know, he's too small, etc, etc. And I'm just like, yeah, if he's too small, let's get him out on loan. Let's, let's get him bulked up. Let's get him on a plan to, to go and build his strength in a, in a League 2 club. And then, you know, see what he can do after that. He just never got anything. I mean, there were times where he played more for England. This this is literally the case that he played more for England than Spurs any Spurs level in a season, which is madness. Bizarre, it should never it? be in, it should never be like that. So I just felt there was a lack of development plan for him. But frankly, you know, the blame is partly with him and his agent because they needed to just get out of the club, to be honest, by by the end. Uh he obviously he got his loan move to Southampton eventually. And I suspect he will move on permanently, sadly. But uh, yeah, it was a bit of a strange one. I just remembered the other player, by the way. It's Lewis Binks, who is a really good young centre-back who I think we will come to regret leaving. And I, I guess, again, he left because he couldn't see a pathway through. But yeah, another good young player that we'd produced. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, talking about Kyle Walker-Peters, it, it will be, it, you know, I, I feel the same as you, that it, it looks like he's going to, uh, signed permanently if not for Southampton for another club and it is a shame but you, yeah it's one of those things isn't it and and it, I mean I can I, I remember going to the uh, the Barcelona game away the, the one where we drew one all so we scraped into the next one of the Champions League and he played he played mm. that game didn't he and it almost felt mm. like you know he's playing these huge games and and obviously he was fought for the for the goal that we can see yeah, but that's right he, he still you, you just felt that he just he he just it was it was he was on the verge and yet it never seemed to happen yeah you're right and 
you know, he did make a mistake in that game and I thought he came back from it quite well and yeah. he played okay after that. Um, but he had a couple of games where he was really good and then he would just end up back on the bench and you mm. think that's the moment that he needs, they need to show faith in him. If he plays well, keep playing him, give him a run, let, let's see what happens. And he never got that momentum which, which always held him back, I think. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, uh, next question we've got is from Kieran Guy. Now, there's not no question mark at the end so I don't know if this is a statement or a question but he says, uh, real chances of us getting into Europe this season mm. <laughs> oh gosh it's difficult isn't it there's a lot of work to do if we're going to get into Europe starting with beating Man U I think that's um, that's, that's the crucial one it's a bit of a six pointer um, I don't know how you how, how do you feel about the Europa League Matt I mean would you settle for that I, I think I would I, the, the way I look at it and don't, don't get me wrong I, I, I've you know, obviously the, the money that comes with European football and, you know, it, it, not not as much as is made from Champions League football as it's from Europa League football. But I always look at the example of that season with Chelsea where they, they finished something like 10th or 11th in the season and they won it the next season because mm. they, they didn't have any other focus apart from domestic football. And I'm not for one second saying that that means you know, we'll win the title <laughs> next year if we're not in Europe. But I wonder whether not having that distraction might actually help us in the league. I think you're right for sure. I think it's a, it takes a big toll on uh, players' fitness, but also not just their physical fitness, but their mental fitness. Um, you know, when you think about the, the the, the amount of preparation that uh, has to go into each match, and that's not just in terms of tactical preparation. That's in terms of physical pe- preparation to build you up to your peak, and then the days that you have recovering after a game. If you're playing Wednesday. Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, that is going to be very difficult to maintain over a season. If you take out the Wednesday game, suddenly it becomes a lot easier mm. and you can manage injuries more effectively. You can train in a way that allows you to build up to peak fitness for longer periods and it just it, it's a game changer. Um, obviously, we want to be in Europe. I mean, the Champions League run that we had was one of the best... I mean, certainly the semi-final, one of the best moments in my Spurs supporting life. Uh, and we want to be back in, We want to be back in the Champions League, clearly, financially, and also just for our enjoyment. Um, but like you say, there are benefits of not being in Europe. Where, where was you in the when the second leg, uh, the second leg in Ajax? So I was meant to be going to the Fighting Cock Social to watch it with, okay. with a, a group of friends. And I had to work late, uh, so I ended up watching it at home by myself, uh, which was uh, at the time to- when it when I first realised I was going to be watching it alone, I was a bit sad. Uh, but actually, as it turned out, it was so stressful, <laughs> and uh, really I was just I, I I stood up in my front room. I didn't sit down for like any of the second half. It was <laughs> a very bizarre experience, but yeah, just incredible. And I was straight on the phone to my family afterwards. We had a, a, a family WhatsApp call. Uh, just screaming, basically. Yeah, I just remember crying quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of tears. It was just absolutely incredible, and and I, I don't know about you, but I've watched that those. That I think from when when the the goalkeeper wastes time, to then him kicking it out and it to going back into the goal. I think I've watched that sort of two minute clip at least ten thousand times, and I will never ever ever get bored of watching it. Absolutely. It's just incredible, and and they 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 um. Recently, I saw on social media uh, on a site somewhere they've managed to find some footage from an Ajax fan from the opposite side of the ground. And if you've seen it, so you can kind of see it from from the other end. And 
it's it's insane. It's absolutely insane because you, you see all the Ajax fans. You can obviously sense their tension, but they're all still singing. As far as they're concerned, they've got through. And then when we, I think we have a corner, don't we? And then we miss, and they're all cheering. They're like, "That's it now. We're through now." It's the 94th minute. You know, nothing's going to happen now. The goalkeeper's deliberately wasting time. I think he gets booked for it as well, doesn't he? Yeah. And it, it's it's almost like I have to watch it just just to see it happened. <laughs> Did that it's really still happen? hard to believe. I know it's it's so insane, isn't it? It's so beyond anything we ever expect as Spurs fans. We're used to the opposite happening. Uh, we're used to other teams doing it against us. We're not used to us being the, one, the victors yeah, and, sure. and getting the fun. Yeah, I mean, the, the quarterfinals as well was amazing. I mean, I, I managed to managed to go to the home leg um, when, when we beat them 1-0, Man City, and I was in, in the south as well, which is fantastic, you know. So I was kind of behind the goal for Sunskull and also for the, for the Aguero uh, miss as well, penalty. And that was just insane. In, you, you know, like, we were playing Man, Man City obviously are a huge team and you, 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 although you kind of want to go into the game hoping for a win you don't kind of expect it and then for the drama at the end of that game as well <laughs> I, I can't decide which one was, was more, more dramatic or they were, they were both both incredible games, weren't they? Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, the definitely. I mean, the IX one takes the biscuit in terms of how much something, how 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 quickly a game can turn on its head. One half of football, and it's just completely turned on its head. And, and Lucas Moura put in one of the greatest forty-five minute showings of any player ever. Yeah, absolutely, um, <laughs> it was just insane. I mean, and Lucas as well, who was pretty kind of average for a lot of the season. And I, I mean, I. I'm not Lucas's biggest fan, uh, so to expect that of him, I mean, it, it was it came from nowhere really. But I mean, the, a couple of his goals were just unreal. The second one, every touch was immaculate, it was absolutely perfect. Yeah, just yeah, remarkable, remarkable achievements, and uh, to, to have like you say two in a row in the Champions League is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Right, next question we've got is from Stephanie Nicholson, who's asking, uh, "Who are you looking forward to seeing again?" And she's saying, "I'm looking forward to." Uh, seeing Son. Oh yeah, I have missed Son's happy little face. Uh, he's just the <laughs> nicest, the nicest man in the world. Oh, he really is. <laughs> uh, it just brings pure joy. I'd love to see him get on the score sheet in the first game back and uh, yeah, get, kind of get back to where he was. He, he had a bit of a dip um, before his injury. Uh, I really want to see him get back in the goals again. Um, for me, though, I'm going to go with. Tongi and Dombele I, I'm really excited about what he can do I uh, I mean I must admit after the was it Burnley I want to say where he had that really terrible showing where Mourinho threw him under the bus yeah I, yes. I, 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 I was very pessimistic after that match about whether he had a future at Spurs and I'm slowly being turned around the, the, the amount of time that Mourinho seems to be putting into taking him on as a as a project including breaking lockdown regulations to do so <laughs> makes me optimistic for what he can do with with Tongi I think he's an exceptional player and if we can just get him focused and fully fit crucially then we've got an unbelievable player I think uh, he, he, he could be a star but we definitely need to kind of um, put some faith in him and uh, allow him to make a few errors because the upside is going to be totally worth it yeah, completely. I think the the funniest thing about that 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 lockdown uh, break they did is the fact that they're wearing the training gear. I know, <laughs> I know. Absolute madness. At least go undercover. I know. Put on put on a fake nose and fake glasses and just wear yeah. wear a jumper or, or a balaclava. 
<laughs> oh, absolutely hilarious. I did see, I watched, the, the, I know the, the, the official site posted the highlights of the 11 versus 11 game at the stadium, and he looks in good shape, doesn't he, Ndombele? Yeah, he, he, he played number 10 from the looks of things, mm. uh, and that might be the way to kind of introduce him into the first team and get him fit and firing. Because if you strip away some of those defensive responsibilities and just let him get the ball and make things happen, I feel like we could we could integrate him quite nicely. He's clearly got an eye for goal. He scored in that match, but he's also scored a, a few good goals for the um, for the first team already. And we know his passing ability is up there with some of the best in our squad. I would say. I mean, with Eriksson having left, you need Ndombele and Lo Celso to to use the creative side of the game to the absolute max, and he's he's definitely got that string to his bow. Yeah, I I, I, always, I make the mistake sometimes when we sign players to kind of look at their their YouTube hits, and I know sometimes mm-hmm. that can be that can be a bit misleading. But one thing I did notice that he does a lot, and, and he, we've seen it a few times this season, I think, is that eye for a pass that he has. He can sort of yeah. bypass three or four, four, three or four players with such a sort of unnerving pass sometimes. Yeah, it's that board inside the fullback, and yeah. we've got we've got a lot of players who are very, very, very good at making that run from uh, out to in. So that to me bodes well for the future. Yeah, completely, completely. Right, next question we got is from Cameron Millage, who says, uh, "Could we see? Could we see? Oh, so this is quite apt actually. Uh, could we see a Lo Celso and Dombele double pivot versus Man United?" Oh no, I mean. That would be very sexy on the eye, but I don't. There's enough defensive nous in there as a combination. Um, I mean, this is this is this is the the crux of the problem with Spurs is that we don't have an elite number six or defensive midfielder. Um, Harry Winks does a, a passable job. That's definitely not him at his best, and I think he's he's growing into the role. And as he learns to specialise more, he'll get better. But I don't think it'll be difficult to upgrade. Personally, I, we've been linked with. Huybier uh, from Southampton, who I think is a solid defensive midfielder, uh, but we we definitely do need an upgrade there. I, I don't think Lacelso and Ndombele has enough about it defensively to counteract someone like Bruno Fernandez, who is going to be a real threat in that game. Yeah, sure. What well, now? Now we, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, as we mentioned, Delhi's not going to be playing. But how do you kind of look at the the game against Man United? How would you? How would you? Uh, what what forward players would you would you put on the pitch? It's difficult. I mean, so in that uh, 11 versus 11 training match, they both seem to play 4-2-3-1, which probably makes me think that Mourinho is going to go 4-2-3-1, maybe with the lopsided defensive uh, tactic that he, he used when he first came. Sure. Um, so if we go from the base of the midfield up, I'd probably go with Winks and, oh gosh, probably the Celso alongside Winks, I guess. But maybe Mourinho will pick Sissoko, even though... I, Absolutely hate the Winks Soko midfield combination, uh, and then and then you're looking at definitely Kane and Son because they have to have to start when they're fit, and you're then finding two more two more players to fill the gaps. Probably for me, I would like to see Ndombele, and I'd probably without Delhi, I'd probably start Bergvine. It is nice to have the choices, isn't it? <laughs> mm, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is Soko looked quite handy when he was playing sort of more of a right-hand side role but Mourinho shifted him over to the right and I think he got a goal in the first game he played there and I feel like he got an assist as well later on so that that could be one option Uh, certainly off the bench we've got five subs now as well which is going to be quite handy because it means we can experiment a bit more it means we can keep fresh legs on the pitch Um, 
So we have got options with the fully fit squad, and Lamella's another one. He's he scored that that really good training goal as well. We've, that's yeah. been all over social media, um, and he's a great impact player at times. If he can keep fit, then we've still got a good player in Lamella. So it's, it is nice to have uh, this this fully fit squad to choose from and some decent options for a change. Yeah, it's a nice luxury, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Right. The final question from Facebook. Now I don't know if you want to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> from uh, uh, Tom Perk so it says controversial I know but this could be fun and uh, it, it's not going to be fun Tom but I'll ask a question anyway <laughs> if <laughs> if you could sign anyone from Arsenal tomorrow who would it be he oh, said Tom I oh, know he said I'd take Cedric uh, is it pronounced Suarez Suarez uh, the guy that they've got on loan from Southampton now technically I mean I might say that because he's not technically an Arsenal player you know but that's a horrible question isn't it yeah, that's um, ugh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you just associate them with Arsenal, so automatically you kind of reject them in yeah, your head. Sure. Uh, so I, I guess it will be a case of what position do we need the most? Um, and we need a defensive midfielder. So you're probably looking at Lucas Torreira or Matteo Genduzzi, um, just simply because of the positions we need. I mean. Arsenal's best players are probably Obama Yang and dare I say Pepe, who I think is unfortunately going to be a, a good signing, although they paid a hell of a lot of money. The other one who I think is really good, and I hate to say it, is Bakayo Saka, who's the left side, young left sided player. He can play left back um, or he can play left wing. Yeah, on balance, I'd probably choose Saka. He's not been he, he's uh, he's not been a Arsenal first team player for so long, so you can kind of try yeah. and get over the fact that he was he ever there yeah <laughs> over the years uh, as you've supported Spurs obviously we've, there's been a, a few players that have come over from Arsenal have you how have you felt about you know players come, playing for Arsenal and then playing for Spurs um, I mean it is pathetic that we, we care about it but I absolutely <laughs> do care about it and it does mean that I've really struggled to warm to them yeah uh, Adebayor certainly helped with the knee slide. Yeah, that, I mean, that I, did help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, if someone does that, it makes you like them even more, like because they're spiting Arsenal. Yes. So, so that that kind of quickly got me on side. I did struggle with Gallas for a while. I must admit, um, he felt proper Arsenal to me, but he was also obviously at Chelsea for a long time as well. So there was like two in, two for the price of one. Um, yeah, no, it is difficult. I, I, I do struggle to warm to, to players who come from Arsenal, I must admit. Yeah, it's always difficult. And and, and also, when, when you go to games and ex-Arsenal players are playing for the opposition, you just hate them as well. It's just yeah. that association with that club, isn't it? It will follow them for the rest of their career. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll always get booed forevermore. Yeah. <laughs> and on the, on the flip side to that, I, I remember uh, go, uh, watching uh, going to the Spurs... Was it the Burn, Burnley game when we beat them 5-0? Sonny scored that great solo run and Lennon oh, come yeah. on at the end and it probably helped oh, the fact yeah. that we was 3-0 three or 4-0 three or up at the time but he got a great reception when he came onto the pitch yeah nice. there was a nice bit of sentiment there Lennon was at Spurs for a long time very loyal servant to Spurs but also I think everyone recognises that he's been very open about his mental health battles and he's gone through a really difficult period of his life so there was kind of an extra bit of sentimentality there as well everyone just like wants the best for him sure sure yeah no, exactly right so we, we had uh, three questions on instagram uh the first question is from Wesley reynolds who asks uh, biggest what ifs from the last few seasons uh what if sissoko hadn't handled the ball in the champions league final is the the obvious one 
Um, yeah, I like that one. Which is still or if the ball wasn't kicked painful. his hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's two ways of looking at that, isn't there? You yeah. shouldn't have put his hand up, but at the same time, it, you, it was deliberate. Like, I, I think it was a deliberate act to try it and kick it. the ball against his hand. Yeah. Um, other what ifs? Um, I mean, what I, if I... Moussa Dembele hadn't lost his hips? <laughs> <laughs> If Le- Levy had spent a lot more money, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that the two transfer windows or three transfer windows of signing no one or next to no one. Oh, God, that was just... horrendous, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, although, again, I, I go a little bit against the grain on that because I, I strongly believe that if Levy wasn't going to, to buy big, then Pochettino should have compromised and at least started buying young championship players and loaning them back out with a view to then bring you in, into the first team squad and refreshing it a bit. I mean, there, there are ways and means of doing things. It doesn't mean you always have to go out and slap down 50 million for the, the next best thing. It's uh, There are kind of smarter ways of signing players and keeping that squad fresh and, and turned over. Um, yeah, I mean, so maybe that's it. Maybe it's, I wish Pochettino had, had freshened up the squad. Yeah, and, yeah, and he'd still be here today. Yeah, absolutely. It was frustrating. I think it's one of those things, isn't it, when you get the transfer deadline day, that you you kind of almost you feel like just can we sign anybody just for the excitement of signing a player? You, yeah, you get to that desperation at the end. But 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 Sam and I, we we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years, and we we covered one of the transfer windows literally live. So we did the last hour of, of, of the transfer window and we just had this recording of a hoover and a clock. And we was like, <laughs> occasionally we say we go back to Levy's office just to hear if anything's going on because you just knew there was nothing happening at all. They'd all gone home for the night. And I... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, oh, I God. can't wait to see in the uh, Amazon documentary the, the transfer deadline day shenanigans to see what actually happens. Yeah, first. yeah, I'll be very interested. Yeah, I don't think it's going to make for good watching, though, to be honest. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, the second question we've got is from Damien Mulally, who says, uh, when was the last time we had a fully fit squad? I don't think we have it since since now, have we? Oh, it's been a long time. <laughs> it's certainly been a long time. And, and even now, to be honest, it's not fully fit because Parrot's missing with this um, appendix operation he's had. So it's, it's, it's near enough fully fit, but we've got one off with COVID-19 and, uh, and then Troy Parrot without his appendix yeah <laughs> so yeah. It's, it's even even now where we think it's fully fit it's not quite but we've thankfully like we said we've got the embarrassment of riches going forward so yes whereas you know and i and i, and I talk about this almost weekly but the because it's the last memory i've got of, of us playing football but the, the norwich game and just being out of that game and just f- feeling like the club had been beheaded there was just mm. nothing <laughs> up there at all it, we were just so bereft of attacking options anywhere yeah, weren't we yeah yeah no it was um that was not a good game it feels like a million years ago doesn't it yeah and my and my memory of it i was in the stand just next to where uh dyer had his moment of madness and just thinking oh my god like he's actually just run past me what the <laughs> hell is going on <laughs> that's the only, only thing i really want to remember from that game i don't remember anything else <laughs> Right, the last one we've got is a question from uh, Sebastian Hoyger, I want to say, uh, asking, should Harry Kane be sold? So this is something we've discussed quite a lot on the Extra Inch recently. When you when you know when to sell your best players. Um, and there's no, there's no kind of easy answer. Uh, 
the thing is that makes the thing that makes Harry Kane different to any other player is that he's not just our best player or one of our best players. He is also our kind of talisman. He came through the academy. He loves clearly loves Spurs and everything about it. Um, he is forever woven into the tapestry of the club because of everything he's achieved with us. So he represents more than just our best player and most valuable asset. He he represents the heart of the club. So parting with him feels very different to like Ericsson, for example. I mean, I was really sad to see Ericsson go. I was a huge, huge fan of his. But clearly we should have sold Ericsson a year before we did because firstly we'd have got more money from him for him, but also it would have kind of forced the issue in terms of finding replacements. I mean, Bardi made a good point on the last extra inch where he said selling Gareth Bale when we did was the right thing to do and actually the problem was the way we spent the money and I think that is spot on. You know, yeah. we got a remarkable amount of money for Bale and if we'd reinvested that properly we'd have been in a stronger position for it, much like Liverpool were after selling Coutinho. Um, so, I, so I do think there's an argument to say we should be selling our best players as they hit their peak or, or when we kind of spot them just going beyond. But my caveat on Kane is uh, that he he's more than just a, an asset. Yeah, more sure. just a good player I've always said and I know, I know it's a really crazy idea but I feel like we should just send him on loan to like Real Madrid for a season just so he can win a few trophies and yeah, then come back <laughs> so he's got them he's got the he's got the trophies for his mantelpiece now he can come back to Spurs and the pressure's oh. off kind of thing <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's it, I guess stranger things have happened haven't they you know we we have seen players leave and come back Klinsman uh, two spells sharing him at two Shering, spells yep yeah. Um, so there is this precedent there. Don't know, I, not I sure. always remember with Sheringham, and I know you said when you was growing up, you remember him. I just remember feeling heartbroken when he left for Manchester yeah. United. Really felt heartbroken. Yeah, I did too, massively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I also remember feeling um, briefly heartbroken when Robbie Keane left to go to Liverpool because I was a big fan of Robbie Keane. But again, we got such a good offer for him. It was the right thing to do. Yeah. It, was, it was definitely the right the right move for the club at the time. He wasn't gone for that long either, was he? I think he was no, back within he six months, wasn't he? He came back and we, we bought him a lot cheaper than we sold him for. Yeah. So we went out of that deal. Was that, was that a Levy deal? That was a Levy deal, wasn't it? Got to be, yeah. <laughs> When I was when I was looking at Justin Edinburgh, I was thinking that we sold him for more, but, I, but he, we sold him in two thousand. So Levy joined in two thousand and one, didn't he? So you can't attribute that one to Levy, but <laughs> you, you can normally attribute the good deals of him, can't you? He, he, he's, he's always at pains to let players leave for any any less than what we bought them for, isn't he? Absolutely, I'm sure there's always a clause or two in the con- contracts as well. Yeah, completely, completely. Right, that's all the questions, I think, Chris. And um, listen, it's fantastic for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the podcast. You're very welcome. It's been really nice to, to be a guest. Um, nice to chat to you. I've, I've not guested on a podcast for a long time, so I was I was quite chuffed to be asked. And uh, yeah, it was an honour to be able to join you and have a chat about Spurs. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening as well, stay safe and uh, take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Spurs News Podcast. Be sure to join over 50,000 other Spurs fans on our Facebook page at Spurs News. Until next time, come on, you Spurs! And remember, to dare is to do.